fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to the You Can Shine podcast where I explore real stories of real people just like you and I who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Martin Gillespie. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. I met Martin virtually on a LinkedIn article he published called Welcome to the Beginning of Your Life. In this article, he shared about his work convening the men's circle and also his triumph over trauma and cancer. Martin is a holistic coach with a focus on the well-being of men. He ditched the corporate blazer to become a trailblazer for wellness, the growth and the empathetic human. Martin is father to two girls, Ava and Amelia. He is single, watch out girls, and he's about to hit the big 5-0. A fun fact is that he has an oval named after him. He's a marathon runner and Martin is training to do a one kilometre ocean swim. Welcome, Martin. Thank you very much. And uh, for the audience, um, if they don't understand Scottish or they don't have Scottish ears, we will have translation skills at the end of this podcast and you can listen to it in the language of your choice. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Martin. So, Martin, I've done a bit of a rundown of some of the, the career highlights, if you like, of your life, but tell us the story underneath. Who is Martin Gillespie and what are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? Oh, so um, let me take it into a couple of parts, actually. That would be the easiest mm. thing. So I grew up in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, I was one of five kids, normal schooling. I, I had this um, inquisitive mind in me. And remember, so this was in the, the 70s and 80s. Um, I was intrigued with that, that beautiful British sitcom, Faulty Towers, oh. right? And when we were kids, we would go to hotels and I was always um, amazed that the, the door that would say employees only or private, you know, what went on behind the scenes? So that gravitated me, believe it or not, to study hotel management as my first, as my under, undergraduate degree. And um, I studied in a place called Aberdeen, which is in the north of Scotland, which is the coldest place in Scotland in winter. Even the polar bears come in off the North Sea because it's that cold. And I was really fascinated with the aspect of nutrition. Now, we're talking about the late 80s, early 90s, where the only people who really studied nutrition were um, nutritionists themselves or doctors. So it was a very scientific approach. But I was interested in what do we give to people who are who work in the oil rigs in the middle of the North, North Sea. They can't smoke, they can't take alcohol. So you've got to give them good food to get that right productivity. But unfortunately, my career went down the hotel management path. I got my first degree and then I studied international marketing at Strathclyde University in Glasgow. I got my master's degree and then went out in the world. And um, my first job after uh, graduating from uni was promoting a beer product in Scottish bars and clubs. So it was like <laughs> heaven and earth. You know, I'm in my early, I'm in my mid twenties, thought it was fantastic. 
I went to every pub and club and nightclub. Oh, it was bliss, right? Um, but you can't sustain that. And then I ended up working for an executive recruitment company and I turned around one of the business, uh, the lines of business. And I was working very closely with a key client and the key client was National Australia Bank. So I was dealing with a lot of Australians and I got the opportunity with the company I was with. They said, would you like to move to Australia? So I was in my late twenties. I was a single guy at the time. All my mates were getting married. My siblings were having kids. I was like, what am I doing with my life? I want to adventure more. I want to expand my, my knowledge. So I originally came out here in 2000, just before the Olympics here in Sydney and fell in love with the place. It was a very seductive time in Sydney. The energy was electric. Um, you know, I'm a big sports fan. So getting to see all these amazing athletes was just fantastic. And I'd, I'd always been a runner since I was, you know, little a little nipper and I started taking up, I, I started doing long distance running and joined a running group. And that's how I got to meet some fantastic people because in a work environment, you're working with people, but you've got to have a social connection and social is doing things that lighten your heart up, that you're passionate about. And, you know, the social point was it was that you met on a Saturday morning, you would run 15, 20 K here in Sydney, you would run over the Harbour Bridge. You know, I still pinched myself to be able to do that. And then you have a social cup of coffee with your friends. And it was a great environment. And even to this day, some of my friends are there. And with the running group, I actually, um, I was training to race over in the US. I'd qualified to race in Boston, in the Boston Marathon. But there was one girl that stole my heart in the, in the running group. And um, we started dating. And we were both in our early 30s. That girl subsequently became my fiance and then became my wife. And we produced two amazing um, girls, um, Ava and Amelia, as you rightly said. Um, but then in 20, I was working in a corporate environment. I, I was working in the, in the high pressured environment of cybersecurity at the time, which is still to this day an extremely, um, I was gonna say popular, but an extremely important part of corporate world. But it was on that trajectory of life. I was a high earning, high performing individual. Um, my outlook on life was get a house, pay a mortgage. You know, you're in your 30s, 40s. You're just bubbling through. You've got so many balls up in the air. And then in 2010, there were some cracks that started happening. My mum died at the age of 68 in 2010, in April 2010, in Scotland. So I had to um, take that mercy flight back to the UK um, for her passing. And the one thing in hindsight, when I came back to Australia, I didn't seek any professional help at that point. I thought, I'm a man. I know the answers. I'll throw myself into work. And I didn't open up to anybody. And I carried that and carried that pain, if that makes sense. Um, then that was 2010, 2011, we found out that my parents who had been married 43 years, we found out that my father had had a mistress for 35 and I actually have another brother in Scotland. Nice. So the shock of that, oh, 
just overcoming my mum's passing, and that, that took time, then realizing this, um, my relationship with my father completely changed. And again, internalizing it to myself, I'm a man, I can handle it. Being um, of a Celtic descent, um, handling it meant also making love to Dan Murphy's perhaps one too many times during the week, right? Mm. And hit probably drinking too much. I was traveling a lot. So when I was traveling, I was probably drinking too much alcohol as well. And then come back to a family unit and juggling these types of balls up in the air. And then in 2012, um, my younger sister, in April of 2012, my younger sister, Denise, um, lost her battle to, with breast cancer at the age of 37. Um, and I went, I went back and managed to see her before she passed over to the, the next world. And that was beautiful, actually, just to hold her and say goodbye to her meant I had some closure over her death. So when I came back to Australia, um, the wheels in my marriage were, they were beginning to see some holes in my marriage. My kids were um, two and a half and five. And my relationship with my then wife was, we were just functioning. We were like being on a train, but not connected. Mm. We were emotionally not connected. Financially, we were pushing the boundaries. We had one income, big mortgage. Um, on that, that distancing from each other as well. Yeah. And so Denise died in April and then... In the early June, my father was on a six-foot wall around his house and chopping over hanging branches. And he had a pair of garden secateurs in his top pockets. He slipped off the, the wall and the secateurs pierced him in the heart and he bled to death. So that was a big shock. He was 70 at the time. And then six weeks later, my marriage eventually collapsed in the September of 2012. Um, my marriage collapsed and we decided to go our separate ways and obviously try and get do the best for the kids. Mm. Um, but I knew instinctively there was also something wrong with my body. I mentioned earlier that I was a runner, um, but I was, not, I was always really tired, really fatigued. And, you know, any parent with young children are always fatigued, right? Those first seven years, you're sleep deprived, you've hardly any time for your relationship, you're just doing all the time. Mm. And um, I could feel my body wasn't right. I could feel there was something incongruent with my body. It, was, it, was, it wasn't resting. I was always kind of jumpy, if that makes sense, and never been able to relax. So I took myself, I discovered a lump in my neck. And... Um, it was a lump that when I was shaving in the morning would come out and then in the afternoon I could push it back in. So when I was in meetings in corporate world, I had something to play with rather than just my pen taking notes. Mm. But I decided to go to the dentist because I thought, oh God, it's, it's root canal. You know, I'd made the typical mistake of getting on, on to Dr. Google, which was, you know, not the right thing to do. Mm. I went to the dentist and they carried out a whole series of checks. And they said, listen, there's nothing wrong with your teeth. Your teeth are fine. But can we suggest you go and see a GP? There's something not right with your body. We can feel that there's something not right. So I went to my local GP and 
as I was, um, we started from scratch and we get, we got a plethora of tests done mm. um, from blood tests to CT scans to PET scans. I, I learned a whole new vocabulary of medical terminology that I'd never known before. Mm. And I remember one incident when I was lying on a, the table getting a, an ultrasound and around my kidneys and the radiologist said, oh, could you wait there for a second? I want to get a second opinion. And that's when fear started kicking in. Mm. I'm thinking, well, I know I'm not pregnant, so you know it's nothing to do with that, but what is it? Then my GP sent me to a surgeon for a biopsy and that's when I knew this is, this is really serious stuff. And I felt really lonely. I felt scared. I felt um, a little bit ashamed as well that I hadn't looked after myself. I, I was eating well. I was, you know, yes, I was going through pressure of a separation, but I thought I was invincible. Mm. And went for the biopsy. And then the... That was on the Thursday. I had a reaction to the biopsy that meant that I had to stay in hospital. And two days later, the surgeon called me and said, I need you to write down everything I'm going to tell you and write it down on a piece of paper. This is your instructions for the next two days. Mm -hmm. He said, we believe you have stage four cancer, stage two cancer from what we can see. We think it's stage two, a cancer called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer of your blood cells. So the first thing I did was started crying. Mm. Second thing I did was go into Dr. Google. Mm. Third thing I did, started crying again. Two days later, I was seeing a hematologist. Again, a word that I was not familiar with. And for those mm. who don't know, hematologists are specialists in blood disorders. It's also a cracking word to use for Scrabble because it uses up all your letters. <laughs> So unknown to me, to, to give you a bit of a, uh, an indication of the staging of things, I went to see the hematologist. As soon as he told me, this, he said, we have made a mistake. And I thought, oh, wow, they've made a mistake. It's not stage two cancer, it's stage four. So to put it into perspective, and if I can bear with me, I'm going to use a prompt. So I have a lemon here in my hand. Now your lymph nodes, are the size of your fingernails. I had swollen lymph nodes the size of lemons in my neck, my jaw, my neck, under my armpit, my groin, across my, my liver, um, bordering onto my spleen, and every white blood cell in my bone marrow had cancer. So stage one would have just been one isolation. Stage two would have been from my diaphragm up, stage three all over my body and stage four is when your cancer is in one or more vital organs. Mm. So I was in a very sick way. And 20 mm. years ago, I would say that I'd be on death's door. The advancements in technology and medicine have come massively. Mm. However, the one thing that my hematologist did as I bawled my eyes out in, the, in his consultation room said, Martin, it's okay. You're seeing a psychologist tomorrow. Gosh. And again, that was a, that was a pivoting moment going, wow, someone is going to take care of me. Someone's going to help me. I remember walking into the psychologist's office and she beautiful, beautiful lady. She said, welcome to a new beginning. 
Don't look at this as something that has to have a negative impact. Yes, it will be pretty tough over the next few months, but this is your opportunity to change. This is your opportunity to find what your purpose is in life. Now, I don't know about you, Josie, but when, when you're getting drugs and you're getting chemo and you're all over the place, you're walking around with a notepad all the time with chemo brain, just writing things down because you can't remember a thing. Mm. But that took me on a fantastic path to actually start reaching out for help. Mm. I went to the GP, got onto mental health plans. It took me a while to find the right psychologist. I tried a couple out and I didn't, maybe I didn't like them or I didn't gain that, that energetic flow. Um, and also at this, this stage, I actually started practicing yoga. Mm. I took up yoga. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, what is this thing? You know, I, I was quite prejudiced about what yoga was or is. And that has helped me tremendously. I remember being in my yoga studio and it was hot yoga, not Bikram yoga, but hot vinyasa. And I had no hair, no eyebrows. I was oozing of, of toxins from chemo. And I've realized why you have eyebrows. I was trying to do some yoga poses and all the sweat was running into my eyes. Mm. I couldn't see a thing. I didn't know left or right, but I could just be in there in a certain pose and child's pose of those, those who are familiar with yoga and just feel the energy of people around me mm. and feel that love and connection that I was never, I was not alone. So that was one of the things that got me through it. Plus, seeking out to get help, professional help. And professional mm. help was through counseling, but it was also through connection with other people. I couldn't do, I couldn't run, for example, um, to share with you when I was going through chemotherapy, I had four and a half months of chemotherapy and two years of a maintenance drug. Every two months, I had to go back to the hospital to, be in, um, to get injections. After the, on the first time of chemotherapy, I thought I was Superman. And I decided to go for a 6K run on day three after chemo. Mm -hmm. Two days later, I did exactly the same. The next day, I was in the hospital for three days. My body shut down, mm. completely shut down. And, you know, I would use, I started, that's when I also started learning more about meditation. And mm -hmm. it, just starting with three to five minutes to calm the fight or flight mode within my nervous system calm it down. I also took up journaling in that time as well because I couldn't sleep. Um, my, my nervous system was switched off. I had a thing called one of the side effects of chemotherapy gave me uh, a nervous aspect called peripheral neuropathy. So I had no feeling in my fingers. So I couldn't hold a knife, for example, to chop vegetables. Mm. So I ended up eating lots and lots of the quintessential thing that most people have in a barbecue, especially in summer, cooked chicken. I ate cooked chicken for two years. Now when I see cooked chicken, I, I look at it and go, no way am I eating that again, <laughs> right? Association. But I also realized that I can beat this. And during chemotherapy, I found things that worked for me. For example, I, I realized that the hospital I was being treated in was only 20 minutes drive from the Harbour Bridge. So I would go down to the Harbour Bridge early on that morning of chemotherapy, walk over the Harbour Bridge, round the Opera House and walk back again. So I was so tired. 
by the time I got chemotherapy, my body was in a sleep mode while I was receiving it. And so my recovery was much better on those times. Mm. I also started using, when I was doing the maintenance uh, program for two years, I would use that as a reward to myself. Oh, I'm not so much I'm going for chemotherapy. I would frame it differently. I would go, I'm taking myself out for dinner tonight. What am I going to have to eat? So it would really change my mindset. And these were the things that were starting to change in me and I could feel it. Yes. So, I mean, Martin, I'm sitting here thinking, holy hell, 2012 was definitely Mm. a massive year for you of significant loss and trauma and also illness. And you had it coming from you from all different angles. You returned back to Australia. You you separated from your wife. Um, you know, you have little children as well that you care for. And now all of a sudden your body's diseased and you've got this new battle to have to face. And you mentioned that, you know, sure, you were you were scared, but then in a moment, at some point, you decided I can beat this. What was it? What was the moment that enabled you to have that belief system? And what was it that enabled you to hold the fight forward for life? So what was coming back to me was what is one of my first loves? And one of my first loves is actually cooking and food and the importance of food. Food is the medicine. Let medicine be the food. So I started studying nutritional environmental medicine. I wanted to learn what are the alternatives to the toxins that are going in my body? What are the alternatives that I can do to look after my health? Because we're only responsible for our own health. And that's what started changing my mindset, plus having a fantastic team around me as well. I realized that I needed some help at times I was very open at asking for help and I I broke through that stigma of you can't ask for help Mm. and giving and receiving when I was on my knees I would ask for help but realizing that I could see the traits I need some help you know even a simple thing do you mind helping me with my shopping do you mind helping me and most people And most of my friends would help me. When I was going through chemotherapy, I was living in an apartment and two of my friends had had keys to it. When I was in hospital, they would fill my fridge up with food. Mm. It's those random acts of kindness that, Mm. you know, and I started training my brain with the right foods to eat. I also questioned a lot of things. My hematologist has now become... I see them three times a year, four times a year. Every three months I get checked up. So I used to bounce a lot of things off him and we've had stand-up arguments. In fact, I got checked up two weeks ago and he said, what are you doing? You should have relapsed by now. I said, I, my job is to piss you off for as long as I can being in remission. <laughs> so we have these huge discussions and There's a medical term for those who are not familiar with it. It's called epigenetics. You can change your DNA by changing your mindset. Your mindset can be achieved 
by looking at what you put into your gut. And if you're eating good food, and again, you don't have to eat three meals a day, you've got to listen to your body. And if your body only wants two meals a day, have two meals a day. There is no cookie cut approach to wellness. Wellness is an individual choice. Mm -hmm. And for me, I still, to this day, and one of the big things that I started doing this year, I started seeing an energy healer mm -hmm. and went through some of the things that were holding me back energetically about taking this leap. So Martin, tell us a bit more of what, what do you mean by an energy healer so that our listeners are really clear about that? Sure. So an energy healer is someone that looks at the, the energy around you. You're, you're built with particles. And, you know, if you go and see a doctor, they have a function of what they are doing. But to give you an example, to become a doctor in Australia, you spend six years at university, you spend 12 hours studying nutrition. So really, and the energy healer for what, for the audience, an energy healer is someone that looks at the energy that you flow, the magnetism that you have. You know, when you smile, if you smile with your eyes and your whole body, it's amazing the attraction that you will have. Mm. You know, you become your own magnet once you start looking at how wonderful an individual that you are. So you're working with this energy healer and what impact is that having with you? So that was, that was fantastic. That helped me shift my mindset. I've been 25 years in the corporate ladder, the corporate blazer, if you want to call it that. Um, it's, and seeing the energy healer, it, it started pulling out, Martin, what's your purpose? What's your passion? What are you here on this earth to do? Right. And without going too deeply, what, what are you, what do you want to be saying to what, are you, what legacy do you want to leave for yourself? I started going, I'm unfulfilled. I'm bored in this corporate mechanism of, you know, just process spreadsheets that don't mean anything mm. to the pressure of being up at two o'clock in the morning, to walking on eggshells. No, I can't do this anymore. So about a year ago, I was working in corporate and I actually presented some of this story on the Are You Okay Day? Mm. And... I presented to an audience of a couple of hundred people and within three weeks, over four dozen people had come up to me, said, can we buy you a coffee? Can I buy you a coffee? This has happened. So I started feeling that, wait a minute, this is, there's a lot more happening here than, than I'm aware of. And I cannot give advice. The one question I would say is you're not broken as an individual, but you just need some guidance now and again. Mm. But for me, I also have to have around me to do what I do now. I have a circle of angels around me that I can offload. I can exchange. I can tell about some of the things that are happening to me. So I'm not taking all that pressure on myself. Mm. And I was brave enough um, in July this year, another pivotal moment. For those listeners who are aware of or not aware of, there's a terrific movement called the Wim Hof movement. And you might, you might know it as those people doing ice baths, right? And the extreme cold can actually alter your immune system. Well, I spent a weekend with 30 amazing people, including one of my best mates, in the snowy mountains, in the water, which was minus six. And one of the exercises we did, we, we went into this water, the lake, it was minus six. There was ice floating between us. We were all in this circle, 
And the energy of making the ohm noise when you go to yoga, the vibration made mm. the water warm. We were not cold. Wow. We were cold when we came out. And then the following day, we did a four-hour hike in Speedos in the snow. It was exhilarating. And that, for me, was a, was a turning point to go, I'm done with corporate. This mm. is far more fun. My spiritual wealth is what I want in my life now. Mm-hmm. So going from, you know, an extremely senior, you know, responsible for a hundred million dollar portfolio. It doesn't matter if it's hundred million or two million or a hundred dollars. Going away from that into this, into this unknown during this incredible year has made me feel so optimistic about 2021. So what are the gems? What are the pearls of wisdom that you would love to leave our listeners with? Look, the pearls of wisdom, I would say, you're never alone. You're all, there's always someone there. Just pick up the phone, talk to people, use your mouth, use your voice, use your creative self and tap into your memory cell of when you were that child, that boy or girl that didn't have a phone, would jump on their bike or their roller skates, would know what time to come home at for dinner and have fun with your life. Bring laughter. And the one thing that I do, um, you know, I run a men's circle and I put men into meditation. And when I do their meditation, and maybe this is something that the audience would want to do, you take your right hand, you put it onto your heart on a daily basis and activate those four chambers of your heart. The chamber of love, the chamber of laughter, the chamber of life, and the chamber of connections. Beautiful. What a wonderful way to activate that coherence to self and others with a simple act. And if you're a parent, you can teach your children that. This is the one thing that I feel that 2020 has given us. I'm very proud of the way that my children and, and the children of the world have actually shown us adults true resilience. They've just got on with online education. Mm. We can give back to our children to teach them kindness, love, um, bit of meditation, just be kind to, but be kind to yourself first. Don't be ashamed of putting yourself first. It is not selfish. It's called self-care. Yeah. And there's a whole stigma just around that. You know, what's the thing that keeps you okay to do that? Because I know that was one of my greatest challenges and sometimes still is. Um, to actually be okay to put you first, to actually be okay to take care of you. Look, I think that's, that. to be honest, it's one thing that I'm, I'm good at taking care of myself just now, but because we're working from home, a lot of us are working from home, we've got so many other projects on place, I struggle, I still struggle with some boundaries at times, mm. right? Because I'm running my own business, I do my men's circle, I'm promoting my business, I'm, I'm, I'm a columnist for a newspaper, I've got a book in flight. Um, it's like, wow, you know, but I've also gone old school. What is the saying? It takes a village to bring up a, a child. It also takes a village to bring up you as an individual. Go and sit in your local coffee shop and talk to the people that are there. If we, if we can now, right, would be one thing. Meet a friend and go for a walk in nature. It's beautiful, mm. but slow down and you'll have a better life yeah well i i will 
second that nomination for sure. So, Martin, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or wants to know more about your men's circle, where can we send them? Um, send them onto my Facebook page, um, or which is Mar just my name, Martin Gillespie, or you can um, email me at martinegillespie70 at gmail.com. Um, I'm in the process of doing my website. Um, again, asking for help. My neighbor is helping me with it because it's not my skill. Uh -huh. And it, she's enjoying helping me as much as I'm asking for help. Okay, beautiful. Well, I'll, put, I'll make sure I put those in the show notes for today. What an inspiration and true light you are in the world, Martin. You've really shown us that no matter what the circumstances, you really can rise and shine again. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for welcoming me into your home. Now, if Martin can do it, so can you. Did you like this podcast? Share your comments with me and tell us what you loved about the interview and how it was helpful for you. Help share the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they can rise and shine too. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on. Can't shine.